Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Ricker. Hi, Paul. Well, good afternoon, Peter. Um, after the New South Wales election on the weekend, uh, yeah. I guess we'll, one more election to go. Maybe that's going to be a positive for property. What do you think, Peter? Yeah, well, it's going to be an interesting one. I, I think Gladys had a much easier hill to climb than Scott Morrison, mate. What do you Probably think? Probably does. And we've, I, I guess uh, everyone's now tipping May the 11th rather than May the 18th. But mm. these have been sort of, I guess, drags in both the property market and also uh, impacting uh, consumer sentiment with yeah. uh, retail business sales and well. business conference. So mm. at least the election cycle is drawing to an end, close. Yep. And uh, look, maybe that'll help, as I said, Peter, at the outset, maybe that'll help the property market, which is still... Mm. Um, Doing oh, it's it languishing. Tough. It's it is languishing. languishing. In fact, the funny thing is that the AFR wrote a story about how the mortgage belt is being belted. Like you'd be surprised to hear a story about like that. But if you actually read the story, over the weekend, a property in Redfern that was you know slated to go for well, the reserve was two point three million, went for two point three one five. Yeah. And so so there's still good properties are still selling. I got a sneaking suspicion that a, a market bottom is starting to fall, we get ups and downs or whatever, but provided we don't see some really silly stuff, um, you know, like recession talk becoming excessive, um, um, uh, Labor maybe wins the election and brings negative gearing in really quickly, if we don't have that sort of thing, I think we can probably get out of this. Well, there was no belting of uh, of uh, Gladys and her team in the mortgage no, belt. I mean, they suffered a bit of a swing in uh, in rural New South Wales, but yeah. not in the mortgage belt of uh, of Sydney and, uh, and and Wollongong and Newcastle. Yeah, so, good, very um, good point. You know, well, today we're we're doing a property special because I think this is the the real curveball for the economy. If we can just arrest the falling house prices, it'd be great for the economy. So we've got Louis Christopher, who actually has done some calculations. He's from SQM Research. He's done some calculations on what negative gearing changes would do to house prices. And also we have the chief economist from uh, the REA Group or realestate.com.au, Nerida uh, Connorsby. And I reckon um, that particular website has some pretty interesting insights yeah, into what, real estate. Yeah, what I had to appreciate, Peter, of course, because they, because they dominate the, the online market and the listings markets for, for, for people and even every agent uses them to, yeah. to promote their properties. They get all the data about people clicking on areas. So yeah. they know exactly just where the investors and, and, and buyers and, and are interested, you know, yeah. and they can tell by different uh, geographies and all sorts of things. So yeah. they, they get a whole lot of unique data that, a lot of other people don't see. Yep, and I'm going to be very interested to hear about what you're saying about Chinese buyers. Are they mm -hmm. still in the market? You know, where are investors going? And, and some of the hotspots, they're still really popular in a down market. So that's a show. So without any further ado, let's go to Louis Christopher, the founder of SQM Research. Louis Christopher, thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. Good to be here. All right, now, Louis, before we start talking about some of the calculations you've done about the potential impacts of changes to negative gearing on house price falls. If, for example, a coalition won and there was no change to negative gearing after the election, what do you yeah. think 
house prices in Sydney and Melbourne would fall by? Well, our forecast is that dwelling prices for 2019, as it currently stands, will fall somewhere between about 3 to 6% nationwide. Uh, I'm expecting most of those falls in that range will happen in the first half of the year. And we think at the se- second half of the year, there's a possibility the market may start to bottom mm. out, uh, depending on what the Reserve Bank of Australia does and, and whether the banks start to uh, loosen lending a little bit more. Okay. So what do you think for 2019, Sydney and Melbourne would do? Our forecast for Sydney and Melbourne 2019 is that dwelling prices could fall somewhere between 6 to 9%. 6 to 9 for both cities? Correct. Okay. And so, therefore, peak to trough, let's take Sydney peak to trough, what, what have you got of that? Peak to trough as it currently stands yeah. or including our forecast? Including your forecast, mate. It would mean for Sydney that uh, we would see peak to trough declines of about somewhere between 16 to 19%. We think the market's off now yep. by around 11%. Um, and for Melbourne, that would mean down about 13 to, to about 16% roughly. Okay. So when, when you hear people predicting 40 or 50% fall for Sydney and Melbourne, what is your reaction? Well, assuming they're talking about the current cycle, um, I think that's unlikely. Of course, if you were to see a few crazy things happen, um, then, you know, potentially you're going to see deeper falls. Mm. And I guess this also comes into uh, the negative gearing question as well. But I think it, it is unlikely. Okay, let's go to the negative gearing question because you've done some analysis of what this might mean. So why don't you just uh, share with us your your um, conclusions? Sure. So the overall conclusions are that, look, we, we, number one, we expect rental, gross rental yields to rise. So um, the, the current gross rental yield in Australia roughly is about 4% Australia-wide. Now, our view is that gross rental yields would eventually climb up, climb up to about 4.9% up to about 5.2%. Uh, so with rental yields rising, uh, basically uh, that means for that to happen, you, you need to see prices falling uh, and or rents rising. And our forecast is that we'll see a, a, a bit of both occur. And just on the rents rising, just if I can ask you before you go, come back to the, the second part of the question, Louis, Is that because you think landlords will need more to compensate for the fact that they're not getting the benefit of of the uh, deductibility or the net deductibility of the interest? Yes, in part, but of course the market is a market. They Mm -hmm. they can't lick rents if the market isn't there for them to do that. But our view is that in time what's likely to happen is that they will have more our power to lift rents, and we believe that because we're expecting housing construction to fall as a result of the change in negative gearing. Uh, and assuming that population growth continues as its current rate, which is still quite strong, uh, you would see surplus rental stock get absorbed rather quickly. Uh, and without that follow through on housing construction, that would mean that eventually rents would, would rise. Okay, so you were discussing your negative gearing scenario. We dealt with rents. Mm. 
So what about uh, what about prices? Well, as mentioned up front, uh, yields need to rise, and, and for yields to rise, it's a combination of falling prices and, and rising rents. So our view is that dwelling prices will likely fall first. Now, why would they fall? We think that they would fall because uh, we would see even less investors in the marketplace, uh, and effectively, that's what the policy is designed to do. Mm. Uh, Labor have said that they wish to improve housing affordability, uh, and they want to do that by seeing less investors. There are more first-home buyers in the market, uh, but definitely by having less investors, uh, you're going to see prices fall. Okay, so let's take it a see like Sydney, um, yep. And you've you said to me for 2019, the fall would be around six to nine percent if there's you know no change to negative gearing. But if That's there right. was change to negative gearing, what do you think Sydney house prices would fall by? It just depends. Uh, so one one of the factors that we're basically taking into account um, is whether as part of this the Reserve Bank of Australia cuts interest rates or not. Mm. So we've, factored, we've, run a, we've run about three different scenarios, one with rates being cut, another where rates are not being cut, and one where negative gearing isn't changed at all. Um, and our view is that, OK, if uh, rates, are, rates are cut, uh, you would see potentially uh, uh, overall declines nationwide in the order of about 3 to 8%, if I recall the numbers, and uh, if rates are not cut, the falls will be deeper. Yeah, okay. So, so in, a, in a city like Sydney and, and Melbourne, they're the ones that are going to be driving the overall fall in the, the national prices. So, yes, that's right. We're, we're forecasting that Sydney and Melbourne are going to fall the most uh, out of this uh, negative gearing change. Can you can you give us a, a ballpark number, Louis, for Sydney or Melbourne with, with yep. negative gearing change and no interest rate cut? And no interest rates? Yeah. Yep. So our forecast is that uh, Melbourne would fall uh, somewhere between 8 to 16% over a three-year period and, yep. and Sydney would fall 14 to 9% over a three-year period. Is that, from, is that from now or from the three years? 2020, 2020 through to 2022 inclusive. Okay. So that was 8 to 16 for Melbourne and what, 14 to 19 for Sydney? 14 to 9 for Sydney. To 9, okay. Well, why are you starting with 14 first and going to 9? Well, that's minus 14. So I'm just reading basically oh, no. the. So I'm, so I'm giving you a range. Yeah, okay. I, I just thought you would have gone 9 to 14 as opposed to 14 to 9. But 14 is probably the, oh, the, the oh, worst. Okay. <laughs> that's just I thought there was something technically unusual about it, Louis. That's all. That's okay. Um, all right. No. So, so what is, what is, have you got any sort of negative reaction from um, Labor supporters because of your analysis? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've had a, I've had a few uh, uh, tw uh, Twitter trolls harass me. Uh, I've had uh, one group try to uh, you know, uh, dispute my claims, um, which you know, they, they generally... Uh, I haven't been that very good at residential housing forecasting for a, a long time themselves. Um, mm. I think probably about the worst thing is I had the Labor Party itself to, 
uh, suggest something in the report which wasn't there at all. Um, so that they, they said that I hadn't taken into account grandfathering, their grandfathering, their modelling, which we, we most certainly hadn't. Anyone that would read the report would see we have definitely taken into account grandfathering. Mm. So, you know, yes, um, I, I've had uh, I've had a bit of that, and uh, you know that that was kind of expected. And uh, but by and large, um, I've I've actually had probably fairly positive reception to it. I've had lots of questions, which is great, and. I actually enjoy good and fair debate, uh, rigorous debate. Uh, so by and large, most that that's that's basically happened. And I guess the point is this, Louis, that you know you have actually had a very good track record at price predictions. That's the reason why I talk to you. But the bottom line is this: this kind of research should make a potential future treasurer like Chris Bowen actually make the the case to Bill Shorten. Okay, we've got a policy we like, but the timing of it is really important. And that's what that's probably the bottom line conclusion I took is that if you're gonna do this when house prices are already on the on the fall, it's not a great idea to add to it. It's not a good idea to add to it in our view. No, no. Uh, not this policy as it currently stands. Uh, of course this policy's gotta get past the, the new Senate. Uh, so assuming Labor wins the election in the first place. We did say, and we still state that, okay, number one, we're, we're in overall agreement that we should see property taxation reform uh, in the sector, including negative gearing reform. When it comes to this specific policy, we, we say that, okay, let's consider phasing it in over, say, a three-year period, because that reduces the risk of an economic shock. Mm in our view. This is, this is the risk here that you, we could actually have an economic shock, particularly if we are correct about what housing construction is going to do. So, Louis, I was going to ask you about uh, timing and phasing, and uh, you mentioned before, of course, that uh, uh, the grandfathering aspect, and uh, so that means that any um, people that are currently able to negative year will still be able to do it until this change occurs, let's assume that the Labor is elected in May, uh, what's your view about phasing it in? Just how would, how would a government uh, implement something which, uh, uh, which moves towards where the deductibility or at least the net deductibility ceases? How, do, how would they phase that in? You could, you could slowly virtually reduce the concession over, say, a, a three-year period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's say, for example, you know, the, the, the negative gearing benefit was worth $100 mm-hmm. uh, normally. Uh, in year one, instead of $100, they only get, say, $75 back of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, year two, uh, you know, they take off, say, another $40 and then the remainder on year three. Right. So uh, th- that's what I mean by phasing, phasing it out. Um, it's just that the, the actual concession in dollars is reduced year by year by year for an investor. I, I suppose the other option is just not to implement it straight away because they haven't actually announced a start date, have they? They haven't announced a start date, but one thing we do know is that uh, the savings from this policy changes in their budget estimates, uh, so we understand. Uh, and so I think the intention is they want to bring it in sooner rather than later. Right. Okay. Uh, Louis, if this is throw one, one last thing at you. If the Reserve Bank does cut interest rates, 
particularly after an election which Labor wins, that's when they're probably more likely to do it. Wouldn't that be considered to be a little bit political, Peter? <laughs> It'd be political if they did it beforehand. <laughs> All right, so they cut interest rates and then banks at the same time um, actually start cutting interest rates because they're borrowing overseas at lower interest yeah. rates. Um, would you then expect your second half, not re- rebound of prices, but the stabilising of the price falls to be more a good chance of happening? Well, if the Reserve Bank cuts interest rates, uh, as we think they will, the the price falls that we're forecasting will, will not be as heavy. Uh, so, for example, Sydney, uh, we said prices may fall 14 to 9%, assuming no rate cut. Well, a rate cut we've got down, it's 12 to about 7% declines. So it will create a, a buffer uh, for the market, but in our view, won't entirely take away uh, the adjustment that it, that would need to occur in the market. Uh, so, but but I uh, guess if know, the banks started yeah. lending more freely compared to yeah. the way they have, that also would be a plus as well, wouldn't it? You still that, have the investor. A, absolutely, that would be a plus. Yeah. Uh, so you know, that, that that would help, and that that's one of the reasons why we've got a range in our forecast. So mm. we're, we're we're trying to take into account more more of a dovish market too, where we see a loosening of investment lending once again. But I you know, I can only state too that look, uh, we know the banks are currently cautious. Uh, in part, they're also cautious because of the current market, uh, what, what's actually occurring in the current market. So uh, I think uh, bank, the banks still have certain buffers and, and, and requirements in their lending, potentially around loan-to-value ratios while the market is falling. Uh, you know, no bank wants to see their customers end up in negative uh, equity. Yep, for sure. Louis, thanks for joining us on the program. Good to be here. That's Louis Christopher, the founder of SQM Research. And now, a word from our sponsors. Trump, trade deals, franking credits and Brexit are some of the many obstacles that 2019 have brought to investors. Join us at our Switzer Investment Strategy Day in Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney and learn how to maximise your investments in a politically challenging 2019. We'll have some of the best fund managers in the country talking to you, giving their best ideas for 2019. Tickets are only $39 and available now from www www.switzerevents.com.au It's that time of the show where we answer questions from our listeners and this one comes from KP, bigpond.com. I have a question regarding clarification of a spouse under the Superannuation Act. I know that a spouse under ATO is a person who you are in relationship, even though not legally married. We are not married, however, have been in a relationship for many years and wanted to confirm if we will be treated as a spouse for the purpose of being able to make use of the superannuation, downsize our contribution as a result of my partner selling a property. Yeah, look, two parts to this question, Peter. One is the downsize of contribution. That's something that was introduced by uh, a couple of years ago. Mm. And uh, if you're over 65 and you're selling a property, uh, you're able to actually contribute some of the proceeds back into superannuation. So or Greater uh, than the maximum. As greater you than the maximum. So, uh, look, not many people have taken advantage of it. I think no. it's one of those ideas that uh, the Morrison government or his forerunner had an idea about housing affordability. This mm. was really trying to sort of free up the, the, 
the part of the market where you know people don't want to move and maybe you know with the downsizing it might encourage them so look uh it's still there worth looking at if you're thinking of downsizing and you fit the test worth looking at the part of the question is actually what's the definition of a spouse because mm. under both superannuation and uh many things around governments defined look the good news is that if you're in a genuine de facto relationship terrible in other words, words uh, de facto. you know you're yeah. you're you're cohabiting uh and yeah. you're in so in a permanent relationship that will qualify as a spouse but it has to be genuine and uh the uh, the tax office uh, goes for that sort of yeah. definition. So if it's uh, look, it generally has to be a commitment by both parties. So, so and I, I guess if anyone's wondering if they just uh, Google downsizer and ATO, I guess uh, downsizer yeah, contribution it, on the ATO's website. Yeah. If you go on the website, yep, uh, well, look at downsizer con- super contribution. It's available from the tax office. Has details and of course uh, lots of things in super are to do with spouses. There's spousal contributions. There's the downsize. There's all sorts of things. The normal definitions apply. They're all defined in the actual uh, part of the act. Here's an interesting one, Paul, from Meg M. And she says, hello, Paul. Could you please give me your thoughts on Australian Securities Income Fund and its suitability for an SMSF in pension stage? I'm uneasy about unlisted property and their new rules state that money waiting pending mortgages now being placed in their term fund instead of in a completely separate bank account. So, Paul, what do you reckon? Well, look, I think there are two parts to this. Uh, I think if you're uneasy about something, don't invest. Correct. I think she's uh, essentially answered the question herself. But two, look, I, I selected this one, Peter. We get, do get lots of questions. But because uh, in, you know interest rates are now so low and there's talk about them going lower, lower. Yeah. Uh, and term deposit rates are coming down, I think some of the other sort of alternative sort of you know things that aren't term deposits but look like they pay an income and uh, this 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 is an example. This is like a mortgage trust, and there are various other types of products out there in the marketplace that uh, look have a legitimate reason to to seek your funds. But because they're paying a higher interest rate, they're by definition higher risk. And I think uh, only go in these things if you're comfortable about them. Mm. And uh, if you, I think there's, it's good taking some risk, but you you know risk has got to be something you've almost got to be prepared to lose too for a yeah. higher rate. So. Yeah. I think it's just the old story. If you're not comfortable, don't do it. That's right. And some people, when they're not totally comfortable but they like the return, they sometimes will put a small amount in there on the idea, well, the rest of my fund is in safer, more steady returning investments. But these high ones, if you put all your money in it, it's very risky, isn't it? Yeah, look, I would never put all my money into any investment. And I don't know if you saw uh, just on – on about risky investments, Peter, if you saw the 7.30 report in the ABC about uh, some oh. people investing in Forex trading. And oh. uh, look, what was so sad about it was not that they, um, look, I think they probably were a bit greedy, but they invested so much and lost it all. And this is uh, anything that promises a high return by definition is risky. And, and I was a bit of astounded by one of the comments that, the, the, that one of the persons said, and I felt a bit sorry for him. He said, look, I was only after a return of 10%. Well, 10% is it's a very big, big return. When huge. banks are paying 1.5%, yeah. 10% is a huge return. It yeah. means lots and lots of risk. So yeah. um, I'm not against investing in risky things, but you've got to invest in moderation for the risk yeah. and you've got to be prepared to lose it. And you've got to, it's worthwhile just doing and we should, homework. And we should make the point that the great super funds of Australia average around 7 
but you, you don't get, and sometimes they do a 10% or 11% on any one year, but on average, they come at seven and a half. And part of the reason is they have your money for a long time. That's why you get a, a slightly lower return, but they don't go into really risky stuff where they, they, they're expecting to get 10% every year. 10% is a very high number. Yeah, but look, if you're not sure what's a risky rate, just always go back to the base of what a bank term deposit is, right? Yeah. Basically, government guarantee. Yeah. That tells you what's risk-free. Yeah. Anything pay a higher return is potentially yeah. riskier. And the bigger the return, even more risky. So you've got to be, mm. care- you've got to be careful. I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in them, but mm. invest in moderation. And uh, the days of thinking you can get a 10% return without taking any risk, I'm sorry, you're just dreaming. You know? Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay, Paul, it's now time to uh, uh, talk to the chief economist of the REA group, Nerida Connersby. And I want to know how the market's actually going and are there some places doing well while we know other places aren't doing so well. So, Nerida, thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Now, tell us about what you think is the current state of the real estate market around the country and then focus in on Melbourne and Sydney? Okay, so we are definitely well into a downturn and it does seem that Sydney is bearing the brunt of of price falls. Uh, If you have a look around Australia, Sydney pricing is now down around 10% from peak. Uh, Melbourne is holding up a lot better. So according to our our data, Melbourne is down 4% from peak. Uh, Melbourne is holding up better in, in a lot of ways, so not just in terms of pricing, but also in terms of search activity on realestate.com.au. So uh, we can certainly see that uh, there's still a lot of uh, people that are interested in buying. We're still seeing a lot of rental activity. Uh, even pro- offshore property seekers seem to be focusing still a lot on Melbourne, which is not the same uh, situation we're seeing in Sydney. Mm. Uh, also, though, you know, conditions are, uh, you know, again, pretty variable. Brisbane's pretty flat. Hobart's still doing okay. Adelaide hit its highest median ever recorded. So, you know, things have definitely slowed, but it is Melbourne and Sydney bearing the brunt. Yeah, you'd have some really interesting data that other people don't see on just where investors and and buyers are searching. So does that tell you anything that perhaps some of the general property market reports aren't showing at the moment? Yeah, look, it certainly does. I mean, if you have a look at uh, some of the markets that are still getting a lot of search activity, places uh, like regional Victoria, uh, Geelong, Bendigo, Ballarat, uh, are still seeing a lot of people having a look around. Uh, we're seeing big jumps in places like Byron Bay. So, you know, Byron Bay is um, is an area that is undertaking or at least currently experiencing very strong a strong price growth. And um, property seekers from the UK, for example, are, are really interested in, in the Byron Bay market, but also locals as well. Uh, we can see in Gold Coast that a lot of Sydney property seekers uh, are looking at the Gold Coast at the moment. So we, are, we have seen a, a surge of activity, not just um, from buyers, but also renters. Uh, offshore buyers, uh, you know, we see around, to, to give you an idea, uh, when we have a look at um, tracking IP addresses out of China, we see around 1,000 searches per day coming out of China. Uh, we can see now a shift away from um, very much university suburbs. They, during the peak of the market, they were very focused on um, places like Carlton and Clayton and St. Lucia in Brisbane, but now have gone back to looking at areas that have high proportions of Chinese-born residents, so places like Chatswood in Sydney and, and Glen Waverley in, uh, in Melbourne. So, yeah, we, we do. We see, you know, lots of fascinating things and, you know, some things are, are quite amusing and, and other things do give us a, a good indication as to what's happening in the market. Are we also seeing that old um, shift from the south of Australia into the north, you know, 
people leaving the high expensive um, cities of Sydney and Melbourne and going to the that southeast Queensland corner? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's funny. When we have a look at Sydney people, definitely Gold Coast is, is an area that they do look a lot at. And, you know, when we have a look at the top suburbs of people looking outside of Sydney, a lot of them are on the Gold Coast. Uh, Melbourne people, though, do look a little bit on the Gold Coast, but Hobart is, is really their star attraction. And the, around half of the interstate search activity going into uh, Tasmania at the moment is coming out of Victoria. So, you know, I think I think Melbourne people um, identify very strongly with Hobart. They like the arts culture there. They like the restaurants. Uh, they can put up with the cold. Whereas, <laughs> you know, to Sydney people, they they don't you know quite have that same desire to head down to Hobart. They really love the north and 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 probably again lifestyle related. It is a, a pretty similar lifestyle for them. Now you mentioned Adelaide earlier. I heard some uh, one of our guests last week was uh, I won't say bullish in Adelaide, but they were suggesting that the Adelaide market has a bit of upside mainly because of the price differential. We've seen that in places like uh, Hobart. Uh, are you seeing any any sort of uh, increased activity in investors and, and buyers looking at the Adelaide market? Yeah, look, there's definitely a lot of activity coming out of Sydney and Melbourne and, and going to places like Glenelg. So, you know, beachside mm-hmm. Adelaide does seem to see a lot of search activity out of Melbourne and Sydney. Um, Adelaide mm-hmm. is starting to see very strong growth at the top end. So, you know, one million plus suburbs uh, seem to be doing very well. So many of them are seeing double-digit price growth at the moment. Um, you know, many a couple of suburbs, I think, have recently hit a $2 million median. So... It is a market that it's definitely being supported at the top end. I don't think it's all investors. I think there's you know a bit of local money. There's quite a lot of local money around as well. But but what's interesting about Adelaide is on on rental demand, we are seeing some of the very very cheap suburbs doing well uh, in terms of very high views per listing uh, for um, from renters. And uh, I think what's maybe driving it is that there is quite a bit of blue collar employment growth in Adelaide and, you know, some of those cheaper suburbs, particularly as you head up north, are not only located close to areas that are that are focused on manufacturing, but also uh, are very cheap. You know, if you have a look at some of those suburbs in, in Adelaide, some of them are, you know, far cheaper than what you could find anywhere else in Australia. Okay, Nerida, being a, an economist, when you see headlines, not so much in news limited papers, but particularly in Fairfax papers, you see the scary headlines of 40% house price falls. What is what is your reaction to, when you see some forecasters out there with such a negative uh, forecast for house prices? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly very alarmist. I mean, if you, if you have a look at the moment, uh, what's happening in the market, for sure, it's, you know, it's tough. So, you know, there's no denying that we are in the middle of a downturn and prices have come back. Um, the issue, though, at the moment is that it is almost um, self-inflicted, this price decline, that we, we did see the market turn pretty much uh, once the Royal Commission was announced. I mean, if you if you have a look when the Sydney market turned, it was September 2017, which is around the time a lot of the discussion around the Royal Commission was taking place. It was announced in December 2017. Uh, Melbourne started to turn in around April 2018. So... You know, a lot of the restrictions the banks have put in place have, have led to these um, price declines. Uh, but, you know, what, what will hold it up is uh, a lot, is really that, the, you know, the economy isn't doing too badly. And, you know, we, we do have very low unemployment. And when you have a look at 
previous downturns and the really bad downturns. I mean, you know, we, we do talk a lot about this is one of the worst downturns in, you know, whoever's saying it X number of years. But if you have a look at times where we've had prolonged serious downturns, it has been also uh, at a time when economic conditions have been quite dire. So, you know, the most recent one's Perth. I mean, Perth is now five years into declining prices. Perth turned in 2014 and still really hasn't come back. Uh, if you have a look at Melbourne in the early 90s, you know, that were, that was a time where we saw enormous price declines. But, you know, at the time, I think most people weren't really worried about their declining home values. They were more worried by the fact that they, you know, probably weren't going to have a job or may not have had a job over, over that time period. Mm. So, you know, at the moment, you know, thing, things are tough. It's credit-led. Um, I do think the policy outlined by the ALP in the in the upcoming federal election with regards to negative gearing is coming at an unfortunate time. You know, I think, you know, we don't really need a hit on prices. Um, we've we've had this massive drawback in investor activity. Uh, we we may start to see problems. So we're we're quite likely to see quite a lot of problems in the rental market as a result. So, you know, I think right now prices will probably continue to fall at least until the election and then from there we'll, you know we'll get a clearer idea as to where the market's heading okay one last question for me um Nerida, is are you seeing some signs that the price for momentum is slowing down are we seeing some signs that maybe a base is starting to fall to form or are we still in free fall yeah, look, I think that the, the Royal Commission finishing was a was something that, that probably led to renewed confidence in the market. I mean, we're not necessarily seeing prices bounce back, but uh, certainly sentiment seemed to be improved once the Royal Commission was finished up and, um, you know, in the end it said very little about housing finance. And so, you know, that, that was a positive for the market. Uh, the New South Wales election over the weekend, uh, you know, I think it's a positive that... Um, the, the coalition got in. They are, uh, they have been good for the New South Wales economy, and, yet, and we do know fundamentally what underpins housing is is continued jobs growth, and so you know that that's a positive. Um, the, but really, the, the election will be the next big thing, and, and yeah, we can certainly say it on our site that uh, listing volumes do remain very subdued in the lead up to an election. So really what seems to be happening at the moment, you know, we're not necessarily, you know, we've seen prices decline. It doesn't really seem to be in free fall. It, it seems to be more that the market is stuck and we're, we're seeing uh, far fewer new listings coming on site. So, you know, people aren't being forced to sell. They're, you know, they're, they're just deciding to hold back if they can and, and fewer listings um, and also fewer buyers. The buyer activity has also been reduced. So, you know, we, we've got this market that's really just, you know, in, in, in limbo at the moment until mm. I think really the election when people can get greater certainty. Okay. Well, Nerida, that's now going to be May 11, they reckon. That was the, the, the thing we heard today. And look, uh, thanks very much for your uh, observations. Very helpful indeed. That's Nerida. Uh, Connersby, is that the right way of pronouncing it, Nerida? Nerida? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And she's a chief yeah. economist at REA Group. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, that's the show for today, Paul. I know you weren't all that wrapped in the idea of me going excessively long property, but there were some really interesting we revelations. We did go long property today, Peter. Yeah, next week I'll, I'll drop property, but right? But we learned a lot today, so yeah. a great show, and I think uh, both our guests had uh, some real insights about yeah. what's going on in the market out there. Exactly right, and let's hope they're right as well. That's the show. Everybody, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. And I promise I won't do property next week. Oh! <laughs>